Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. You have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Doesn't Paul exhort us in Romans 12, 21? He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's exactly what David did. He overcame, he overcame evil with good. Always remember that. You'll never overcome evil with evil. All exclaiming in his Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Saul lived under the delusion that David was out to get him, but David's refusal to kill Saul when he had a chance proved beyond any doubt that this was false, and Saul responded emotionally because David spared his life. David's kindness overwhelmed Saul and made all the difference in softening Saul's heart. Every change David could hope for in Saul had happened, and he seemed sincere about it, especially as he lifted up his voice and wept. God tells us to overcome evil with good. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 24. You know what? I was. I was being a jerk. Will you forgive me? You're like, of course. You know, and then the friendship is restored. And see, David could speak some truth to Saul, especially in this lucid moment. Very seldom was Saul in a lucid moment like this. Remember that an evil spirit was dominating him. Some people even believe he was possessed by a demon, and at different times it would just rattle his cage and, and just infuriate him and cause him to go in rages and rampages. And what does it say in Matthew? Jesus, again, in the Beatitudes, what did he say? You will know them by their fruits. As David is having this dialogue with Saul, David in his heart's going, man, I'm listening to this guy, but in my heart I don't believe it. David was wise. And he was wise enough to think that, I believe, because it wouldn't be long after this that Saul would be on the hunt again. And David knew, after their talk, he, he continued going up into the stronghold. He wasn't going to come down and have a big, you know, come-to-Jesus moment, and everybody, all the soldiers hug each other. I'm so sorry, man, I misunderstood you. No, it was nothing like that. David's like, great, Saul. But in his heart, he's like, I've got to run. I've got to keep running. It's only a matter of time before he's going to turn on me. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruits. We are called to be fruit inspectors. It's okay to look at a life and, and say, you know what, I, I don't know whether they know the Lord or not, but the fruit of their life is showing something pretty good. 
So when they tell me that they believe in Jesus, I think I believe it. Right? But when you, say, when you hear somebody who's a believer, and all you see is their life marked by one bad decision after another, and then you find them, they're in drugs, and they're in alcohol, and they're in illicit relationships, and they're cheating on their wives, and they're taking drugs, and you've got every reason to go, I'm looking at the fruit, and it doesn't look so good. I don't know what's going on, Laura, but that fruit is bad. Right? It's okay for us to look at fruit and say, this looks good or doesn't look good. That's how we gauge Because anybody can talk a big game, but when a life is changed, it demonstrates itself because what's in comes out for good or ill, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Actions are, are, are done by what comes from the heart. So David said again, my hand shall not be against you. I love Proverbs 16, verse 32. It says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And that's really kind of the way I see David. He was a a man who was wise, and he was careful. He was patient. And he was actually more in power, more in control than Saul was. Wouldn't you agree? You You couldn't trust Saul, anything he said. But David was straight as an arrow. He always knew where he was at. He made sure that if he liked you, he made it very clear. If he didn't like you, he made it very clear as well. You know, there was no deceit in David. Again, he made his mistakes, but... Therefore, the Lord, uh, be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of your hand. You know, the Lord would ultimately judge between David and Saul... We'll see that in chapter 31 because Saul and his kids and his, and, his, and his sons, they all die in battle together as it was prophesied back in the time of Eli in the very couple, first uh, in chapter 4 or 5 of, of the book that we're in now. But God would deliver David from Saul, answering the cries of his heart and the many psalms that he wrote, rich psalms during this period of his life when he was running and having a hard time, and just, again, uh, the, the anguish of soul that, that David went through, that, that was working in him pounds and pounds of gold every single day as he would go through these trials. The Lord was just whittling him down to nothing to where God could build him up again. And, again, don't be afraid when that happens. There's, there's, there's just no other way around it. I never grow when things are going well for me, but I grow when, I'm, when my face is hitting the mat and my heart is broken, and I'm crying, and I'm just stressed out, and I'm, I'm hum- wore out, and, and I'm hurting. I grow in those times, and you do too. We come out of it later with a greater perspective, and we find that we grow in the process. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, and Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And, and Saul lifted up his voice, and he wept. And you can just see this man kind of crumbling before him. And I don't know if any of you have seen The, the Return of the King by, uh, the Lord, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the very last one. Um, this Saul reminds me of this uh, character called Denethor. Denethor was the steward of Gondor who had grown mad and he was, his mind was poisoned by Sauron and Saruman. 
And he was just losing his mind. And, and he had these moments of lucidity, but most of the time he... And, and there was a moment in the, in the movie, I remember, and I can just see Saul doing the same thing. He just he gets like this euphoric look on his face, and all of a sudden he becomes like a little kitten. <laughs> Repentant and, and humble, briefly, before the lion comes out and the flame and the sword. But that's what it was for Saul. His emotions were all over the map. He was very unstable. The Bible says in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded literally means double-spirited. It means two-spirited. Two-spirited person. You, you, you have two different interests. And you could go either way. And you don't know. The wind will blow and you'll go one way, you go the other way. Nobody really knows where you're going to go. You don't even know where you're going to go. Everyone is confused, including yourself. That's not a good place to be in. But because of his disobedience and pride, Saul was in a very bad place. He was like the Judas of the Old Testament. Because remember, if Saul could have snuffed David's life out, all the prophecies that had been talked about of David would have been thwarted, and God's word would have been null and void. Do you understand that? Just like Judas was trying to kill Jesus, he wanted the Satan was inspiring Judas. He actually indwelt Satan himself, not a demon, but Satan himself entered Judas. And he tried to kill Jesus, trying to thwart all the plan of God. And do you think that it was just then? No, it was about a thousand years prior to that that the devil was doing the same thing in Saul, trying to snuff out David because who would ultimately come through David? Jesus Christ in the flesh. You think God was going to let that happen? Little did Saul know it, but he was playing chess with God. Saul was playing chess with God, and guess what? You will always lose. Because before the game even begins, days before the game even begins, God can say, checkmate. And you're like, we haven't even played the game yet. Oh, I know. But you're going to be checkmated anyway. I know the end from the beginning. I know, you, I know the moves you're going to make. You can, knight to B5. Rook to, to uh, C6. And, you're going, and the Lord can say, I can tell you exactly where you're going to go in ahead of time. In fact, you want to play that game? No, God knows. He knew it all. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. You have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Doesn't Paul exhort us in Romans 12, 21? He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's exactly what David did. He overcame he overcame evil with good. Always remember that. You'll never overcome evil with evil. You'll only escalate. It will never, ever, it'll never get better. But you can overcome evil with good. And that's a lesson that we need to learn because we like, in our culture and everything, we like to, if somebody does something to you, Man, you want to poke them back. They poke you in the eye, I'm going to poke you in the eye. And then they poke you a little harder, then you poke a little harder. Then they pull out a knife, and then you pull out a gun, and then you're both in trouble. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're in a squad car, shackled up together, screaming at each other. But David was overcoming evil with good. He was doing what Jesus, a thousand years later, would exhort his disciples to do. 
Because Jesus, remember in the uh, Beatitudes, he would say, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, you got to be kidding, Lord. It feels so much better just to take some revenge. Boy, revenge is sweet for a few moments until you get caught. It never pays off. It never, ever pays off. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And that's exactly what David did. He waited, and God took care of Saul. And David didn't have anything to do with it. Be that innocent, folks. Let's be that innocent in everything we do, put our hands to. Let's be that way. Just be innocent children. And let the Lord take care of all this other stuff. It's not easy to do. It takes a heart, it takes a more, a stronger of a character of a person to walk away from a fight than to engage in it, realizing it's not really going to solve anything. Saul says, You are more righteous than I, you know, for you have rewarded me with good, and I have rewarded you with evil. This was a, certainly a lucid moment for, for Saul. And again, it didn't last because we know, like I said before, in two chapters from now, he's going to be coming after him again. Just that demon is just going to rile him up again, and he's going to be like a wound-up toy. You know, just you can see the devil just cranking that little key in the back of him and just getting Saul all agitated, and he's like, man, I just i got to go after this guy. Have you ever seen somebody like that? You can actually see them getting wound up. I, I see this happening. You know, you're watching somebody, and you, 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 know, you don't even hear them. You can see it like on a, on a video or something, and before long, they're just, you know, they're pacing, and they're wringing their hands, and next thing you know, they just explode. And it's like, oh, I knew that was happening. Knew that was coming. But do you have a temper? Do you have a problem with anger? A lot of people do. If you've got a problem with, a, with your temper, with anger, have you really gone to the mat with the Lord with that and said, Lord, this, this is not becoming of a child of God that you've called me to be. I can't, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be, you know, reaching out in anger toward my wife, to my kids. I don't want to be yelling and screaming and cursing at people. I don't want to be picking things up and throwing them across the room because I don't get my way. Lord, would you please deal with me on these issues? Have you prayed that prayer? Unless the old man is crucified, the flesh will always rear its ugly head again and again. There's only one thing to do with the flesh, and that's to crucify it. That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul says. The Spirit of God says, crucify your old man and the deeds thereof. Are you involved in fornication? Crucify it. Are you involved in malice and wrath? And the the list goes on. It's a pretty ugly list. Are you dealing with any of those things? Crucify them before they crucify you. Because it will. It'll take, it'll take dominion over you if you don't take dominion over it. And the Spirit of God in you is able. You have to fight the good fight. Don't ever give up. It's never easy, but you fight and you fight and you fight. And then you pray and you pray a lot more. And you play it a lot harder. And then you fight and you don't give an inch. Don't give an inch of your flesh and to the enemy of your soul who wants to just destroy you. 
Don't be a soul. The flesh is never satisfied. Proverbs 27, and we'll stop here in just a few moments. It says, hell and destruction are never full. In other words, they're never satisfied. They're never satiated. They always want more. Death and hell always wants more. It wants to bring more under. And it's just constantly pulling people under. Because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? And he says in verse 18, And you you have shown me this day you have dealt well with me, but when the Lord delivered you, Deliver me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? And, and, and in verse 20, Saul admits to David, And now I know that you shall surely be king. You know, because David was exemplifying all of these kingly traits. These are the, this is the kind of behavior that behooves a king. Saul in his heart knew he should have been demonstrating these things. They should have been a part of him, but they weren't, and he didn't even know how to get there. And it, it's too far now for Saul. He, he, he'd gotten so deep into this whole thing that he was just on the, he was on a, 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 a he was on a, a train going headlong into destruction. And, and, and because of his own heart, he just, he would not repent. He would not repent. At any time he could have said, you know what, Lord, I'm done with this. But he never did. He just continued. Therefore, swear now, and I love this. Saul says to David, Swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from, a, from my father's house. And so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. Notice, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. They're not dumb. They know what's coming in spite of all the flowery language. But notice, Saul asked David to make, to, to, to make an oath. Does that oath that he just said, doesn't that sound familiar? Do you recall that that's the very same oath that Jonathan and David had made? In chapter 18, verse 3. In chapter 20, verse... I forget what it was. In chapter 20, he says the same thing. David and Jonathan made the same oath to one another. And so it was very easy for David to look at Saul and says. You know, Saul, uh, he didn't say this to Saul, but in David's heart, he's saying, I've already, I've already made this vow to your son. I'm not going to come after you guys. Whatever the Lord has here, whatever he's going to do, I don't even know yet, but whatever, whenever, whenever it is that I come into power, when, when, when I come into the kingdom, I'm not going to hunt down your seed. I'm not going to hunt down, and, he, and David didn't. He let somebody else do it. There's a, some men of Gibeah we're going to see later. But David didn't put his hand to any of his sons or his grandsons. But he did take Mephibosheth under his wing. We'll see that later. So let's um, prepare our hearts for communion. We owe everything to you, God. Lord, you will never be indebted to us. Lord, but we will be forever indebted to you for all that you've done, Lord. Uh, uh, something that none of us could... Um, uh, make happen, Lord. It's just not possible. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross for us, Lord, and um, and Lord, for the communion that we have as we take the, the bread and as we take the cup, Lord, we are mindful of your body that was broken. Lord, in our place, Lord, you broke, you were broken, And Lord, your blood was poured out in our place.
And again, Lord, not any ordinary blood, the very blood of Almighty God. And so, Lord, what can we say to these things? What can we say but thank you? And Lord, we want to offer our life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. In those days, they would take a, a loaf of bread and they would just pass it around. You know, a big uh, challah bread or whatever. They would just t- tear off a piece and pass it around. And Wouldn't that be fun to do during a pandemic? And put it online so the CDC could see us all drinking from the same chalice. You know, the Holy Grail. Tearing off a piece of bread and just stuffing it in our mouth and Maybe even just tearing it off with our teeth and passing it on, you know. And, but Lord, we... <laughs> forgive me. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Let's take it. In that culture, whenever they would share a meal together, it was a very intimate thing. In some cultures, even in our own Whenever we have somebody over for dinner, it's a pretty intimate thing. But in the Middle East and back in this time, it was exceptionally uh, something it meant a lot more than what you and I take of it. And so when we do this together, folks, we are, we are sharing in, in communion together. We are basically acknowledging, we're acknowledging together. Go figure that a, a, a people group like us from all different races, backgrounds, Everything that we can come together and we can unite under this. Where in the world can that happen? It doesn't even happen in the Fortune 500 companies. But we can all be here and we can take communion because we serve the same Lord. We can unite under his banner, under him. Think of the miracle that that is. And that's what we get to do. That's the joy and the privilege that we get to do. And we just ingested the tokens, the symbols of what has occurred for the salvation of our souls. That needed to happen, and we took this meal, in a sense, together, and there's no more intimate thing that we could do as a body of believers than to do what we just done, to do what we just did. Right? So let's stand together, let's pray. And I am very thankful and glad that we get to do this. Aren't you? Say amen if you do. I, I agree. I'm a, I feel the same way. And uh, so, Father, we, we, very, we, we are very thankful people, God, just to live in a country where we can do this. And, Lord, other countries, other nations, Lord, they, to do what we're doing now would be treason. It would be, it would be against the law. We could be taken away into some gulag somewhere and never be heard from again. And yet, Lord, you've given us this privilege in this country, Lord, how we thank you for this country, how we pray for this country, God, that you would right the wrongs, Lord, that you'd straighten us out. We need your help, God. We're desperate for you. The church, we're desperate for you. Certainly the country needs a lot of help, Lord, but we need you. So, Lord, help us tonight. Help us tomorrow. Bless us. Bless our day tomorrow, God. Order our steps, Lord. And we just trust you for all that you're going to do. We love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.